All right, well, grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 40 today, uh, continuing our series going through the Gospel of John. Today we're going to wrap up chapter 7, and next week we'll begin chapter 8. Now, if you remember last week, the verses we were in just before these, um, Jesus is at the Festival of Shelters or the Festival of Booths in Jerusalem. And this was a special time where the, the Israelites would gather in Jerusalem and they would um, kind of camp a, a, in the streets and remember how their ancestors, when God led them out of Egypt in the Exodus, led by Moses, they're remembering that time where they wandered in the wilderness and in the desert for 40 years and they were camping and staying in tents. And, and uh, they're also remembering specifically about how God miraculously provided water for them in the desert. And it's with this backdrop, this setting, that Jesus, in the verses we looked at last week, stands up and loudly proclaims this. It says, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And by using this phrasing, he was announcing that he is the Messiah. And he says, If you believe in me, you'll have true life, eternal life. Now in these closing verses of chapter 7, we see four responses to Jesus' claim that he is the Messiah. So in last week's passage, in verses 37, 38, we saw Jesus saying, I am the Messiah. And in the closing verses of chapter 7 today, we see four different responses to that claim. And as we look at these, I want you to ask yourself, which of these represents you? Because it's the most important decision you'll ever make. You know, back when I was um, just beginning as a student at Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee, Oklahoma, um, Shawnee was actually my hometown, so going to college, I wasn't really going off to college. And so when I got invitations to come to the campus a week early and, and um, participate in something they called Welcome Week, I just threw away the letter and ignored it. <laughs> I thought, well, I already know about OBU. My older sister went there. Uh, some of my older friends had gone there. I've lived near the campus my whole life. I thought, I, I don't need Welcome Week. Well, one of my older friends who did go there, he was a part of the team that, that helped freshmen uh, through Welcome Week. And I guess he saw my name on a list and realized I wasn't there. And so he called me at my house and he said, Jeff, you really need to come to this thing for freshmen called Welcome Week. And I resisted. I said, I know all about OBU. I don't need to make any new friends. But he, he just stayed after me. And finally, I said, okay, I'll come. And so I don't think I'd really missed all that much. And I showed up and I got put in this small group of about 10 freshmen. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. We were out um, just right there in the middle of the campus between some buildings and a, and a little kind of pergola-type setting, uh, sitting in the shade. And we began to go around the circle and everybody say their names. And, you know, to this day, I don't remember anybody's name that was told me that day except one. But as we went around that circle, I heard this girl in the circle begin to introduce herself with this strong southern, eastern Arkansas accent and said, Hi, I'm Amy Imboden from Cherry Valley, Arkansas. That's the day I met my wife, Amy. We've been married 26 years now. And I thank God every day that my friend called me and, and taught me into going to Welcome Week. And the first day, first moment, I met my wife. Deciding to go to Welcome Week affected the rest of my life. Deciding what you believe about Jesus and his claim to be the Messiah, the Savior, it affects your life now and will affect you for all 
eternity. So let's look at these four responses and see which one represents you. The first one we see, and let me just mention these, uh, there's four responses, there's four groups, and they're kind of alliterated. I don't usually alliterate things, but today I am. And I got these from John MacArthur from his commentary. And the first response, the first group we see is what he calls the convinced. We see it in verse 40 and the first part of 41. Beginning in verse 40, it says, When the crowds heard him say this, talking about claiming to be the Messiah, asking people to believe in him, some of them declared, Surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, He is the Messiah. See, they were convinced that Jesus was the prophet Moses wrote about in Deuteronomy 18. They were convinced that he was the servant that Isaiah had prophesied about that we saw last week. Some may have thought he was just a forerunner to the Messiah, but verse 41 clearly says that many were convinced he was the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. They believed in Jesus as the Messiah. And that's the response I hope you have. I hope you believe Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins. I hope you believe John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I pray that you believe that and you've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and to be made right with God and to have eternal life. This group was the convinced. They were convinced he was the Messiah. The next group we see are what John MacArthur calls the contrary. These are those that are disagreeable. These are the kind of people that are kind of like, my mind is made up, so don't confuse me with the facts. Look at beginning in the second half of verse 41. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. Now this question, will the Messiah come from Galilee, is a sarcastic question. <laughs> right? The idea that the Messiah could come from the boondocks of Galilee seemed ludicrous to the sophisticated people of Jerusalem. It'd be a little bit like people in New York saying, can anybody important come from Arkansas? Or the people in Los Angeles saying, can anybody important come from Mississippi? It's kind of that sentiment. But, but there's more to it than that. You see, they knew the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. It had been prophesied. And they knew Jesus had grown up in Galilee. In their arrogance, they, they failed to investigate this further. But Jesus, although he grew up in Galilee, he was born in Bethlehem. And he was a descendant of David, just as had been prophesied. But rather than investigating, they believed what they wanted to believe. You know, many do this today. They don't want there to be a God because they don't want to answer to him. They don't want Jesus to be Savior because they'd have to admit they are sinners who need him to save them. I remember a few years ago seeing a, an interview, uh, a, t a team with a camera and a microphone was going around a college campus, a major college in California, and they were asking people different questions. And it was, it was really interesting. They were just asking questions about what people believed and why they believed it. And I remember one professor who said he was an atheist, and, and as this group asked him questions and as they presented evidence for God and for Jesus and the truth of Christianity, he was honest enough to say, you know, there is a lot of evidence, but no matter what you tell me, I will never believe in God. Because if I do, 
If I believe a God exists, then I'll have to answer to him. And I don't want to do that. You know, many are like this today, just like this professor, right? They, we have our mind made up. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want Jesus to be the Messiah because then I'd have to change my life. Then I'd have to answer to him. And so we just don't really investigate. These Pharisees, they had their minds made up. They were contrary. They were, no, no matter what Jesus says, no matter how many miracles he performs, even if he raises from the dead, I'm not going to believe. But if they dug a little deeper, they would have seen that Jesus is the Messiah. And today, if people will not have their minds made up already, if they'll dig deeper, they'll see that God exists and that Jesus is the Messiah. They'd see that they're sinners who need a Savior. So we've seen the convinced, those who believe Jesus is the Messiah. The contrary, that the Pharisees, the religious leaders who, who weren't going to believe no matter what, they wouldn't even look deeper or closer. The third group we see is the confused. Look beginning in verse 45. It says, When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, Why didn't you bring him in? We have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. Have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked? Is there a single one of us, rulers or Pharisees, who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. So if you remember, these guards have been sent to arrest Jesus, but they didn't. And when they came back to the religious leaders, to the Pharisees, they were asked, why didn't you arrest Jesus? And their reply was, well, we've never heard anyone speak like this. They were confused. They, they were religiously trained Levites, and, and Jesus' words left them stunned. They didn't openly reject him, but, but they didn't accept him as a Messiah either. They didn't know what to do with him. The Pharisees, in these verses we just read, make fun of them for being impressed with Jesus. By pointing out that none of them have believed, that none of the Pharisees have believed, they're implying that these temple guards are dumb, just as the crowds are, that they're foolish, that they're ignorant. They're basically saying, hey, we're the smart people, and smart people don't believe stuff like that, and neither should you. These guards must make a decision. They could reject Jesus and be applauded by the establishment, by the Pharisees, or they could believe in him and be treated as foolish outcasts. You know, the same is true today. If we believe in Jesus, the powerful will say we are foolish and ignorant. And if we reject Jesus, we'll be praised and applauded. But if we do... Scripture says one day Jesus will reject us. In Matthew 10, beginning verse 32, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. This was the, the uh, confused, those who didn't know what to do. And... They were feeling pressured to not believe because they would be considered foolish outcasts. So we've seen the, the convinced, those who believed he was the Messiah. We've seen the contrary, the Pharisees who weren't going to believe no matter what. The confused, the temple guards that, that um, didn't know what to believe. And the last response we see in verses 50 through 52, and this is the contemplative. These are the people who are still thinking about it. It's, it's kind of like me at the, 
at the gas station picking a candy bar. Some of you heard me talk about that before. I really think I picked out the car I drive right now faster than sometimes I pick out candy at a gas station. The house we live in now was a quick decision for us, but my wife jokes about how long I spend standing at the candy bars because while I'm a picky eater, there's not a lot of foods I like. I like almost every kind of candy bar. And when we're on trips, we'll stop at a gas station and I'll just stand there forever. Do I want a Three Musketeers? Do I want a Baby Ruth? Do I want a Snickers Milky Way? The list goes on and on. It's it's hard for me to decide. And these people, or really this person in the last few verses of chapter 7, is the contemplative, the one who's still trying to make up his mind. This is Nicodemus. If you remember, we saw him in chapter 3 of John, and we'll see him again toward the end of the book. But let's look at these verses. Verse, verses 50 through 53. It says, Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, talking about chat in chapter 3, he spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself no prophet ever comes from Galilee. And then the meeting broke up and everyone went home. You see, in the previous verses, the Pharisees had just said, listen, all of us that are Pharisees, that are religious leaders, the educated, the elite, none of us believe in Jesus, but they're wrong because here's Nicodemus who had had this conversation with Jesus back in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus was not only a Pharisee, but he was one of the top leaders in the Sanhedrin. He was one of the most powerful men as far as Jewish men in that area in Jerusalem. And here we see he's not rejected Jesus. His mind is open to Jesus' claims. And he's encouraging others to hear him out, but he's ridiculed for it. And we know when we go toward the end of the book of John, chapter 19, that, that Nicodemus eventually became a believer. In John 19, he helps prepare and bury Jesus' body after his death, something he wouldn't have risked if he didn't believe. Today there are many like Nicodemus who are still considering the claims of Jesus, that he's the Messiah. If this is you, I encourage you to continue. Ask questions. Investigate. The truth is not afraid of the hard questions. I encourage you to be like the many people who have asked the hard questions and have found the truth. People like Rosaria Butterfield. Have you heard of her? You know, she was a, a professor of English at Syracuse University, was an atheist, a lesbian. She was very anti-God. In fact, back in 1997, when Promise Keepers was coming through her area, she wrote a letter to the newspaper, like an op-ed, and, and, and expressed her opinion of how much she disliked Christians and Promise Keepers in the Bible. But a local pastor reached out to her, invited her to come to his house with him and his wife and to have dinner and to discuss what each of them believed. And you know what happened? She began to read the Bible. And she says really to research it, to disprove it. But as she read the Bible and as she asked this couple questions and, and was loved by them, she came to see that God is real, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died for her sins. She became a believer and turned from her sinful life and turned to believe in Jesus and follow him. Now she's actually married to a pastor, has several children, is involved in ministry, but began with her meeting with this couple and reading the Bible. I want to encourage you to ask hard questions, search for the truth, and do it by reading the Bible. And begin just in the book of John we're in now, if you haven't already, or you can go back to Matthew. But I want to encourage you to get in the Bible 
and let God speak to you. There's other instances of people throughout history um, that have, have gone from being atheists or people that are still contemplative as Nicodemus was and becoming believers, like C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've heard of him. He wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, which was turned into a movie. It's a famous book. Um, you know, in the early 20th century, he was not a believer. He was not a Christian, but he was led to the Lord, and he became a believer through the conversations with other people who were believers, friends of his like J.R. Tolkien. You've probably heard of him as he wrote The, the Lord of the Rings. But C.S. Lewis while he wasn't a believer, um, was influenced by those who were. And he just had open conversations. And he not only became a believer, but then also um, became someone who helped others believe. So listen, if you're searching for the truth, if you've got questions, be like Rosaria Butterfield, read the Bible. Be like C.S. Lewis and have conversations with other believers. And be like Lee Strobel. Maybe you've heard of him. He, he once was an atheist. He was the legal editor for the Chicago Tribune years ago. And his wife became a Christian, and he didn't like it. And so he set out to disprove Christianity so that his wife would stop going to church and to Bible studies. He was a lawyer. He thought, hey, I'll just look at the arguments for and against Christianity, and I'll disprove it, and I'll have my wife back. But what happened is he went around to experts in different fields of archaeology and Bible history and things like that, and he, he asked them questions. He became a believer. <laughs> And he wrote a book called The Case for Christ and several others like it. There's a movie about his life called The Case for Christ. I'd encourage you to watch it. So be like these people. Be like Rosaria Butterfield. Read the Bible. Be like C.S. Lewis and have conversations with other believers. Be like Lee Strobel and, and look into um, what experts really say. Read some books like and apologetics, like I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Great book, Read the Case for Christ, which Lee Strobel wrote. Or just start off by watching the movie about his life. It's called The Case for Christ. It's a, it's a great movie. But if you're asking these hard questions, listen, God's not afraid of them. He has good answers. You're on the path to the truth, so, so keep looking, keep investigating, keep searching. So as we begin to wrap up our time together today, the message of the book of John, the message of this chapter 7 of, of the verses we've looked at today is that Jesus is the Messiah. Believe in him and you will have eternal life. Believe in him like these crowds did there in Jerusalem in verse 41, where, they, where it says, Others said, He is the Messiah. Don't let your pride keep you from believing like the Pharisees did. Don't let pressure from others keep you from believing like the temple guards did. Instead, dig deeper and find true life, eternal life, like Nicodemus did. And when you do that, and for those of you who've already done that, and I know that's probably the majority of our people here today, once you believe this and have eternal life, then share this life with others. Help those. If you're one of the convinced, convinced that he's the Messiah, you're in that group, then help those who are still in the other groups, the contrary, the confused, the contemplative. Listen, they're not our enemies just because they don't believe yet. We were all once where they are now. They're the ones we're sent to rescue. They're the ones that are in chains, blinded by Satan. But in the gospel, we have the power to break their chains, the power to open their eyes, the power to give them life. So pray for them. 
when you have the opportunity, share your testimony, your story of how you became a Christian, why you're a believer. When you have the opportunity, share scripture with them. Share the gospel with them. We've always eventually got to get to that gospel message that Jesus died for our sins. That Christianity is not about just being moral people and keeping rules and behaving, but the message of the gospel and of the Bible is that we're all sinners who need a Savior. And Jesus came to save us, to die for our sins, to bring us back to God, to give us eternal life. This is our mission in life, to share the good news of the gospel. So Jesus is the Messiah. Believe and you'll have eternal life. And for those of us who do already, we're already believers, and let's share this life with others. Pray for them. Share your testimony. Share scripture and share the gospel. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look at your word today. We thank you for how you've spoken to us. And I just pray for each and every person today, Lord, that they would be sure that they have believed and trusted in Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, the one who came to die for their sins and make them right with you. I pray that they would trust in him and be sure they have a relationship with you and have eternal life. And Lord, once we are sure we've done that, God, help us to live a life that leads others to know you too. Help us to share this life you've given us. Lord, just as it said a few verses earlier, that rivers of living water will flow from his heart. God, may, may the eternal life, may the living waters that you've placed in us, may they overflow from us to those around us. May we lead people to know you and to love you and to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.